You're listening to Cornerstone Conversations, a podcast by Cornerstone in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Jeremy McNair, and I'm the worship pastor here at Cornerstone. Today, I'm joined by our lead pastor, Bobby Harrell, as well as our children's pastor, Josh Martin. And today we're diving into a conversation that parallels with our Sunday morning series, Hall of Faith a discussion of Hebrews chapter 11 and all of the Old Testament characters that fundamentally root our Christian understanding of faith now. As you listen, and if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we would love to hear them and let you be a part of the conversation as well. If you take your comments and text them to 817-809-3040, we'll take all the very best and most applicable comments and compile them into content that we can use for further discussion. As always, we're so thankful that you're listening, and we can't wait to share this episode with you. Jeremy, as we continue this conversation about the Old Testament characters, I just want to, again, remind you and I and everyone that's listening, there is apprehension Mm -hmm. whenever you come into a church and you're the new person. Yeah. Or whenever you're in a group of people trying to have a religious discussion, we've seen some of this in our modules on Wednesday as we have group discussion or in our small discipleship groups where people are reluctant to weigh in at times because they're intimidated. They come from the mindset of everybody in here knows more than I do about this topic. Yeah. I'm way behind, you know, everyone's more spiritual. Those kind of thoughts are a kind of a human default mindset for us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you're new to a church, you attend the worship service and you look around and you're like, okay, these people are probably, you know, advanced to be on where I am. Right. And it's intimidating. Yeah. And so the reason we say this out loud and talk about it with our congregation is when you're reading the Bible, you have that same default mindset. Yeah. You're reading out in our context this morning about Abraham. And there, here's this like hero of the faith character. Yeah. And you immediately think, well, I can never identify with Abraham or Sarah or any of these people because, well, they're just spiritual giants. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have the struggles I have in my life. You know, I struggle with, you know, greed or anger or jealousy or whatever. And they're way beyond that. They're these super spiritual people. And that's why the Bible calls them, you know, like heroes of faith. Yeah. So. I want to just deal with that for a minute. Yeah. Well, and let's destigmatize that. Right. I love that you're bringing this up because when you go into the Old Testament, what you find are very flawed pictures of very flawed individuals. Definitely. And it's really tricky then to look at them and say, oh, I want to be just like these people because there's a lot of things about these people that are nothing that you want to be like. And it's very common, especially in the Old Testament, to find, I guess, just hyper realism to these people's faults and flaws. And I think a beautiful thing about that is regardless of their flaws, they're still noted for their faith in Mm -hmm. Hebrews chapter 11. But, but I love this conversation. I love that you brought this up because they're tricky people and they're flawed people, but they're real people. And it's important if we're looking at them to recognize them as that, as real people who live very real flawed lives. Yeah. I think another way even to say it rather than destigmatize is demystify because we have this like mystical view of these characters in the Bible. But at the end of the day, they're just people who are trying to follow God, just like we are. They're just people who are flawed mm-hmm. and they're sinners and broken, just like we are. And maybe now to add to that, they live in a culture that is wildly removed from Western civilization yeah. that mm-hmm. we live in. 
And so we have to also remind all of our listeners and remind ourselves as we do exegesis on the Bible that when you're reading these Bible stories, their culture is not your culture. Right. Yeah. And it's dangerous to assume that it is. Right. And again, the Bible is not saying be just like these people. Mm -hmm. The Bible is not saying to us, go try to recreate this ancient culture. Yeah. So let's talk about some things about their culture that's broken. Patriarchy. Yeah. This male dominated, dominated, misogynistic culture. The, a a lot of people think, well, Christianity demands this male leadership, this male dominance, you know, this quietness and meekness of the women. And no, that's a cultural issue that's coming through the reading of the Bible. In the Bible, they practice this firstborn gets the double inheritance. The firstborn is honored. The firstborn is the de facto next leader patriarchy again of the family. You think about that, particularly from a modern American standpoint, that just will not fly. People will not be okay if you say, hey, the firstborn of my family gets all of the rights and privileges and the rest of my children, eh, we'll see. And so these families practiced open and blatant favoritism. Oh yeah. And it was typical that they had more than one wife. Mm -hmm. One was beloved and others were 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 there. there. They were accessories. They were there bearing children. Yeah. Because in a patriarch society, let's say it this way. This is uh, I don't know who I'm quoting now, but I've read this several places. The, the gold standard for womanhood was to bear seven sons. So like if you bore seven sons, you get the gold medal for a mom of the century. Okay. Yeah. Because in a patriarch society where you're, tr- listen, the goal is reproduce as many boys as possible. That is how you raise up a society from nothing. Mm-hmm. That's how you build a nation. It's how you build an army. It's how you, you know, and so any woman who could not bear many sons mm-hmm. was stigmatized and shamed these are shaming cultures yeah we do not have a shaming culture here in, in america that's foreign to us matter of fact it's, it's everything we stand against yeah we don't shame people for their looks for their medical conditions for their handicaps yeah and i'll even say that when that kind of shaming occurs culturally where we are it's immediately fought against correct and so anyone who goes to and so i don't want to pretend like it doesn't exist shaming still happens but it's not culturally accepted And so now imagine take a Bible and handing it to a non-believer who's 19 years old studying at the University of Texas Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, let's read the Bible together. And immediately a young person in American culture is reading all of this misogyny, shame culture, favoritism, everything that our culture, and I'm saying our culture rightly stands against i'm not saying our culture is broken in this our culture is correct in this because our culture has been shaped by christianity Mm -hmm. and so we stand against all of these abhorrent behaviors that we're going to see the bible characters story set right into this culture yeah and so it's a real struggle to read the bible and be able to separate in other words is this a good guy Mm -hmm. or a bad guy Mm mm-hmm yeah. And you say, well, this is, you know, this is the father of Judaism. It's the father of Israel, Abraham, and the father of faith It's described many ways, but father is the word always connected to Abraham. And you're saying, okay, good guy or bad guy. Oh, wait, but he has slaves. Yeah. 
okay, but wait, they take the Hagar, the female slave, and really Sarah is the one that puts her into Abraham's bed, essentially. You know, there's not really any indication of Hagar's wishes whatsoever. Yeah. The females never asked whether that's something she's okay with. Mm-hmm. It's just done. Mm-hmm. And she, then she bears a child and we'll, we can maybe get to some of that more in a minute. But you're, as you're reading the story, just in the 30,000 foot view here, you're at times struggling to say, are these good guys or bad guys? Yeah, and or, it is conflicting when you look at them. You know, what am I supposed to gain from this character study? Yeah, because, you know, we've always been taught what we're supposed to do is emulate these characters of the Bible. And when I look at Abraham, I'm thinking, wow, is this a guy that I should emulate in every single way? And the answer Obviously would be not. no. That's of course correct. not. And the writer of Hebrews, who is the one compiling this list of Hall of Faith heroes, the writer of Hebrews is not saying emulate everything about their lives. Yeah. No. And, In and, fact, the author of Hebrews calls out very specific things to emulate, not yes. the whole thing. And namely, what thing is he calling out? Their faith. faith. Right, exactly. Emulate their how they exercised faith. Not their interpersonal conduct. Not, not their marriage. Not their marriages. Parenting styles. None of these things. Those are not godly examples to follow after. Instead, what the author of Hebrews says is that Abraham specifically was looking forward and ahead with the intention of being a faithful person. Right. Yeah. And that's what you should emulate. When you read the story of Abraham, you shouldn't read his whole story and say, man, I want to be just like him. But when you look at his faith, you should desire that kind of faith. Let me read that passage from the preacher in Hebrew says this, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did, and it talks about his son and grandson, Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Uh, A lot of things jump out in that passage that the writer of Hebrews is saying to emulate. And words like obedience, he obeyed, he went out, he stayed as a foreigner in the promised land. In other words, what God asked him to do, he was willing to do, even though he didn't know necessarily where he was going or how that was going to work out. Right, exactly. I mean, if you show up in a foreign country and say, hey, I'm here because I've had a vision of God speaking to me and I'm here to inherit this land. Don't you think the people that live in that land might have something to say about that? And this is another concept that's so foreign to us, because when people come to the United States, generally speaking... Everybody's very welcoming. We're glad you're here. We're not going to try to throw you out. You know, become an American. We're glad you're here. But for Abraham, going into a foreign land was a gigantic step of faith. Because as soon as he crossed that border, the first thing they want to do is throw him out, kill him, take his wives, yeah, take his family, take his, you know, cattle, possessions, cattle, yeah. everything. It was not a welcoming thing for him. So that was a massive step of faith. And that's definitely something that we should aim to emulate. Yeah, it would have been really easy for him to just bow out and say, you know, I I don't want to go forward with this plan. So what you're offers that is God, but, you know, I'll pass. So you're saying that God's calling him to do something that's highly dangerous. Absolutely. In the period in which Abraham lived. Yeah. And undesirable. Incredibly risky behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So that sets things maybe in a better context for us. Also, it says about Abraham that he obeyed God. You know, he did this because God said, I'm going to make 
a covenant. I want to talk about covenant in just a minute. But God said, I'm going to do something special with you. But it says about Abraham, he was looking forward to a city that had foundations whose architect and builder is God. It's clear from reading the story of Abraham that he lived in tents all his life and was a nomad pilgrim sojourner more like we would think of the way native americans lived yeah in tribes moving their teepees you know Mm -hmm. from location following the buffalo or something yeah is this thing i have in my mind and abraham and his people then his family that's going to develop they were nomads with cattle they're kind of like cowboys living in tents in the near east in this bc era Anyway, when it says Abraham looked for a city, are we talking about a like Jerusalem? I mean, is he looking, he's trying to discover, you know, a city? I mean, is yeah. he- Yeah, like a literal city? Like Christopher no. Columbus sailing across the world looking for a civilization? When yeah. Abraham is moving through the deserts and through the area he's in, he's not looking to just stumble upon a city that's already built. New York City. Yeah. There it, it is. It's we not going to be there ready for him. He, in faith, is looking ahead to a city- and a kingdom that God is building, that he is going to be a catalyst for the growth and, you know, development of that kingdom of God. So it's not a real city. No. The Bible's going to use this city as a metaphor of the ultimate plan of God. Exactly. Is to build a new humanity, to reunite heaven and earth in what we call the kingdom of God, Mm -hmm. and for the new humanity to realize their vocation as they were created in Genesis, you know, two and three to be rulers of God's planet. And, but, but the new city becomes this metaphor of the new future, right? That God is going to bring on earth where things are set, right? It's a very long-term goal. It's not something that Abraham is going to realize in his lifetime, which is, which is an incredible aspect of his faith. Exactly. Because he's looking forward to the fruition of the things that he hasn't seen and probably won't. And will never see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the writer of Hebrews, ultimately we'll get there in our Sunday morning series. Well, after talking about all these characters, Mm -hmm. we'll ultimately say, and we'll get to it in some coming weeks, all these died in faith, not having received the promise. They lived their whole lives waiting for God to make things right and fix the, resurrect the planet, if you will, yeah. mm-hmm. give us a new humanity, fix the brokenness of our sins and its repercussions. Mm-hmm. And they lived their whole lives looking for that and never saw it fully realized, but they knew it would come by faith. Yeah. And so that is something yeah. the writer of Hebrews is asking us to adopt about them. You know, much in the way, let me characterize the conversation like this. You know, we talk about parenting a lot here because, you know, the average age of our congregation is about 30 years old Mm -hmm. and we have lots of young couples with children. So we talk about parenting a lot. When we talk about parenting, we tell our young people, you know, you're the best and the worst of your parents. Take the best and try to leave the worst behind. The best practices of your parents, adopt those things. The things your parents did wrong break those sinful patterns and refuse to pass them on to another generation. If your parents disciplined correctly, okay, then use their model. If they didn't, then never use their model and develop a better model. 
Right. And all those types of parenting lessons we teach, we teach a lot here. I would say the same thing applies when looking at these biblical characters like Abraham. And, you know, you're talking about these people's long-term faith. They were looking for God to do something and they lived in obedience and faith, even if they didn't see it fully happen in their lifetime. Okay. Mm -hmm. There is something all of us can do. Yeah. Yeah. Live by faith, follow God, make disciples. I believe the Lord's going to return. If he doesn't return in my lifetime, I want to live my life making as many disciples as I can for the kingdom of God, making the world a better place in in any way that I can, helping people, overcoming evil with good. You know, if that means in my case, and I don't put this on everybody, you know, Susan and I sometimes go and do political events. Yeah. We get p- encourage people to vote. Why? We're trying to make the world a better place. We do humanitarian work. You guys do humanitarian work. Right. Why would our church be involved in rescuing Ukrainians and building clean water stations for orphans in Myanmar? Well, because that's what Jesus would do. Yeah. Yeah. That's you kingdom see, of God work. And you see a lot more. I mean, it's just examine Jesus's ministry. He's doing a lot more care of people than, you know, screaming at people or yeah. yelling at them or yeah, telling he's them. He's definitely less preachy and them. he's yeah. a lot more loving. We don't have a lot of sermons of Jesus in the Bible. Yeah. But we have a lot of the acts and ministry of Jesus in the Bible. That's a great point. Yeah. And so go and do likewise is kind of our take on that. Yeah. If it's within our power to do good, let's do good. In subsequent podcasts, we'll mention Isaac and talk about Jacob and and the son and grandson of Abraham. And you'll see them doing good works, not preachy works, not mission works, but just good works Mm -hmm. for the community, making the world a better place. And that's something I think we also need to keep as a part of our, not only are we evangelists, we are kingdom citizens and we are custodians of this planet and we need to care for it and we need to care for the people who inhabit it. Yeah. All right, let's move to another thing because now one of the things we see about Abraham is, I'm gonna ask you this, how does he fit in the story that the Bible's telling? Why is Abraham important to the story? You know, it seems like he's mentioned a whole lot of times in the Bible. I think at one point you, you counted up is between 70 and 80, like 77 or something times in just the New in Testament. The New, just New in Testament. the New Testament, yeah. Right. And so if he's a character from the Old Testament, the New Testament harkens back to often and with great regularity, then we know that he's important to the story. At the same time, he's a Gentile, which is very interesting for these Old Testament stories. Do you want to talk about that at all? So he's the father of the Jewish nation, the father, another way to say that. So if you're listening and you don't know the terms, you know, Christianity is confusing because of our terminology. I think a lot, I was talking to somebody this week and we were listening to a song and Jack and Diane came on and I was like, oh, it's John Cougar. And somebody said, oh, it's John Cougar Mellencamp. No, it's John Mellencamp. Well, is he John Cougar, John Cougar Mellencamp or John Mellencamp? Yes. The answer is yes. (laughs) Yeah. And so Christianity has a lot of this. Right. You have Cephas, Simon, Peter. Mm Mm-hmm. Simon Peter. It's all the same. It's all the same guy. Yeah, right. And uh, anyway, it's confusing. Yeah. And you so, see this uh, actually a lot with the disciples. You've got Matthew, who is oh, also Levi. Levi. You've got Paul, who is also Saul, Saul. of Tarsus. Yeah. It, it's just, it's tricky. It's, it's tricky. tricky. And with. so the terminology, again, Christianity uses terminology like be born again, repent, believe on Jesus Christ, yeah. get saved, accept Jesus as your savior, come to know Christ. Right. 
you know, I mean, I just keep going on for forever. Those are all synonyms that are talking about a personal experience of repentance and receiving Christ as your savior. So when we come to Abraham, he is again, first called Abram in the Bible. His name is then changed to Abraham. Mm -hmm. And what's happening with him is he's becoming really the key character of the book of Genesis. And the story hinges on Abraham. And that's why there's so much spoken about Abraham. Remember from the moment of creation, God put people as stewards of this planet. Yeah. People whose vocation was to image God. Right. They were made in the image of God. And their goal is to image God Hmm. and to rule over his planet. And since Genesis chapter three, that story blew up. And the story is one of rebellion. The story is one of human failure, a hard restart at the flood, Mm. a new covenant with Noah, essentially. But that covenant was about, you know, I'm not going to destroy the planet. And I really want a people. No people emerge as a nation of godly people who want to follow God after the flood and the Tower of Babel and more rebellion. It's cyclical. You see this all throughout scripture that God is constantly pushing for a relationship with his people and they are in constant rejection of him. And then they flux closer than away and closer and away. And it's just this cycle that happens all throughout all of the Old Testament stories. Now that's interesting because a thought just popped into my mind. You know, a lot of times we're ministering to people who have maybe suffered divorce or relational failure of some kind. They've been rejected. They've been hurt. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking no one understands you more than God. No one's been more rejected and more hurt than a God who loves people who have promised to love him and obey him in return. It turns into unrequited love. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? We never really think about the heartbreak that God has suffered Mm-hmm. with people constantly turning their back on him. Yeah. And yet he still loves, and this is why the Psalms speak so much about his long suffering and his kindness and his goodness. He's still patiently seeking a relationship with people. Yeah. And so that culminates then with God saying, okay, no nations follow me. Someone is going to make a nation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, can you do that? Well, he's about to. Yeah, right. And this is the story of Genesis. God makes a nation. And to your point, Jeremy, from a Gentile. So when we say Hebrew or Jew or children of Israel or Israel, we're really saying basically the same thing. Descendants of Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. So let me say it that way. Children of Abraham, descendants of Abraham, because God calls out to Abraham, who is, as you pointed out, a Gentile. Because he is not his own descendant. That is correct. Right. He is a Gentile. And God says, I want you and your wife, Sarah, to leave your people. And that's kind of Babylon, Iraq, Near East, Middle mm-hmm. East area, where their family was from. It's clear they come from a somewhat wealthy family. Mm-hmm. They come from a family of idolaters. And God speaks to this man and says, I'm going to do something through you. Yeah. I want to build a nation of God followers, a God people. What is your answer to this proposition? Now, again, I I don't want to get into a Calvinist, Armenian, free will, all of this kind of debate, but Abraham has a decision to make. 
Yeah. You're going to leave your people and be a God follower and be the beginning of a new thing God wants to do. Now, looking back, what a historical decision this is. Yeah. What a world changing decision this is. Can you imagine had he not? And surely God would have, you know, found someone else to do this, but also it would have looked dramatically different. Correct. Yeah. But there again, hearkening back to his faith, because this was a decision based solely on whether or not he believed what God was saying was true. So the word is a faith decision. The right. God speaks. So let's call this the word of God comes to him and says, here's what I want you to do. And this is faith. Do you believe God is real? Do you believe the word of God will come to pass? Mm-hmm. Can we trust God? If he says something, will it come to pass? And Abraham's answer to that was yes. Yeah. So they're going to abandon. He's, I think, 75 years old when he leaves her of the Chaldees. So in 75 years, you've pretty much established yourself, let's say. Yeah. Uh, you have wealth. You have family around you. You have a position in the community. You're respected. All of these things. They walk away from everything. And, you know, I love that you bring up the family because in Hebrews 11, the author also brings up how Sarah, Abraham's wife, was also a participant in this faithful living. Well, we say this a lot, Jeremy, about uh, I can use you two guys because you're you know, ministers here in our church, but we would say the same about our female staff members as well. When God puts his hand on your life, he's also putting his hand on your spouse. Yeah. Yeah. Your whole family is in this. And we feel the same way though about all of our church members. We want every single man and woman to be a disciple maker. And not only that, that is your individual commission. Yeah. Right. The commission to go make disciples is not for the clergy. Yeah. It's not even just a general church statement. It's an individual statement to the believer. Yeah. You are to go make disciples. Well, think about this. When God says to Abraham, I'm going to call you out because you're going to be a nation of people. I'm going to make up God's people out of you. Yeah. Well, clearly that's going to involve his wife. Right. (laughs) Because the whole point is a promised child. You know, your wife will bear a son and here's what's going to happen. And so clearly God doesn't act against our protests. Mm -hmm. I mean, if Sarah had said, no way, not down for this, staying right here. Well, that would be the end of that story. Yeah. Yeah. But clearly to your point, Sarah is a willing participant in the plan of God here. And they decide, okay, we're going to obey God and go do whatever God's asked us to do. And we're introduced to this covenant language again. Yeah. And so a covenant, you know, we can talk a little bit about that, but that's this most solemn promise that God makes. And the entire story of the Bible can be told in a series of covenants. It's really structured around Mm -hmm. those covenants. There's one made with Adam and Eve in the beginning, you know, you're going to be my people, you know, replenish the earth and populate it and rule for me and be what I've designed you to be. Well, that didn't work out. There's a covenant made with Noah, but it's a little different. It's more of a promise not to destroy the earth again by water and that seasons will continue springtime and harvest and all of this Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But then when God calls Abraham, here's the big covenant coming now. And this is the covenant that really carries huge weight through the rest of the Bible story. God wants a people. I choose you to be the father of those people. I hereby make this solemn covenant with you. And he doesn't ask really Abraham. I mean, God really does it all. There's a, the language of the old Testament is to cut a covenant. Mm -hmm. Something bleeds, dies when a covenant is made and they stand between the pieces of the sacrifice and they swear these solemn promises. And there are terms of the covenant. I promise to do this party one. You promise to do that party number two. 
And if we keep our promises, things will be great. And here's what I will do for you. If you keep the covenant, I will bless you and multiply you and you will be a blessing to the entire world. Right. You know, it's that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And like with the Mosaic covenant, there were some covenant rules. Mm -hmm. And if you guys break the rules of the covenant, then wowzer dowser judgment is coming upon you for breaking the covenant rules. And now that really frames how you understand the law in the Old Testament. So God makes a covenant with Abraham and says, you're going to be my people. And it's a covenant that I make and I'm good for it. You can take it to the bank. I'm going to bless the whole world through your seed, which are now my people. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this idea that Israel is God's people yeah. now permeates the Old Testament. Okay. I think we all got that. Yeah. yeah. I think the struggle then is when we cross into the New Testament And this was the struggle you'll see played out in all of really in in the ministry of Jesus and in the first churches of the first century. Do you have to be Abraham's people to be God's people? Because that's the way the system has been for thousands of years now. Mm -hmm. Abraham's people are God's people. Okay. So then where do the rest of the people fit in to that? Correct. What about non-Jews now? The sign of the covenant that God had with Abraham is he asked the males to be circumcised. So you'll see in the New Testament, circumcision is mentioned about as many times. I think it's as grace. As grace yeah. when we research that, which is incredible. Yeah. That they're talking about circumcision on par with saving grace. Mm-hmm. So why does that theme come up so much in the New Testament? Because the early church is trying to sort out yeah, they're reconciling. What do we do with the non-Jews who yeah. have supposed access to Christ? Do we make them Jewish? Do we pretend like they are? You understand do do why? they get a waiver? I mean, right. you, you see, uh, I mean, you've got to give them a little bit of grace here because I get why that's a question for them. I understand why they are really wrestling with, well, this is how it's always been done. It's yeah. always just a Jew thing. I guess Jesus opened up access to everyone. So I guess we need to make them Jews. Yeah, I mean, I understand. And then we can make them the next step Christians. Right. They've been working under this covenant framework for thousands of years. And Jesus comes in and just blows that out of the water. So it's not unreasonable for them to struggle a little bit as they're coming out of that covenant thinking, even though they didn't follow it to begin with, and try to reconcile how do we make this work with Jesus now in the picture, who has brought in this new kingdom, this new permanent city that we've already talked about. So use the same language, new covenant. Yeah. And this is really what new Testament means. Old Testament means old covenant. New Testament means new covenant. Yeah. And so now you come to the new Testament and you're both precisely right. Now the followers of Christ are saying, okay, this is a whole new covenant, isn't it? That supersedes the old covenant Mm -hmm. where the old covenant was Abraham's people are God's people. But even in the Old Testament, from really Moses all the way through the prophets, they were already using the language that one day a new covenant would come. And even those who are in the Old Covenant, those who are circumcised children of Abraham, not all of them have a heart to follow God. So they're really not God's people, although they're kind of sitting under this umbrella of God's people. They're really not in their heart, God's people. So the New Testament then makes this shift where Jesus said, Anybody who has a heart to follow God by faith becomes God's people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's some strong language then about how 
the Abrahamic covenant, which becomes the Mosaic covenant at Sinai, turns into the new covenant in the New Testament, where when we finally get the Messiah on the scene, Jesus Christ, a son of Abraham, as the gospel writers are clear to document in the genealogy, now you get the ultimate son of Abraham, this one who will bless all nations of the earth. Right. And now all nations are looking to Jesus. I mean, we sit here presently in 2022 and we can clearly say all nations are looking to Jesus Christ now as the savior of the world. Yeah. This son of Abraham, this son of God, and we're looking to him. We are not Jewish, the three of us sitting around Mm -hmm. this table. And yet we can call ourselves God's people. Yeah. And the Bible even uses the language, you are sons of Abraham. So how do you become a son of Abraham if you're a Gentile and not a Jew? I think it goes back to the very point that the Hebrews author is making as Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, as he looks forward to this you know, eternal kingdom. We are now a part of that same moment of fruition. We are looking forward to exactly what Abraham is looking forward to. Yeah. And that's all by faith. At the end of the day, it all circles back to faith in God. Just like those people who are technically under that umbrella of God's people who are not living by faith, what do we do with them? You know, are they really God's people at all? Whereas now, those people who were God's people and us who are living in faith all fall under that umbrella with Abraham being the father of our faith. So now this is the language of the New Testament you're using right now. When Paul writes this letter to Romans, the Roman church, Mm -hmm. and he's talking about Jews and Gentiles being of faith. In Romans chapter four, Paul uses Abraham as an example. Here's what he says. Well, then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh has found if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God by faith again. He believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Then Paul goes on to say, is this blessing only for the circumcised? Is this only for the Jews? Or is it also for the uncircumcised, the non-Jews? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. And what Paul goes on to say is anybody who has faith in Jesus Christ the promises of God are to you, to you are God's people now. Yeah, exactly. And in Galatians, he echoes the same kind of language. Jeremy, you were part of that study at Baylor with N.T. Wright, that deep dive into the book of Galatians. And in that study, you know, it's all about how they are struggling with this issue of... This is the issue of whether or not they have access as Gentiles to be the people of God, to be the people of God. Exactly. It's a Galatians is actually one of the biggest circumcision conversations yeah. in the right. Bible. It's all over the place. Is in, this about DNA? Letter. Right. Or is this about faith? Mm-hmm. Do you have to have the right? See, when you read the old Testament, it's all about the right tribe, the right family. Who yeah. is your father? Who is your mother? Who do you belong to? Which is why genealogy is so important throughout all of scripture. You see all kinds of family lists because it's important to track what your ancestry looks like. But as you cross into the New Testament, something's changing. Right. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a slave child. No. 
It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It's actually really interesting because you see the genealogy of Jesus tracked. You see him, really his whole family tree laid out so that it establishes that he is the fruition of these Old Testament lineages and that he is the fulfillment of all these prophecies. And then it just kind of stops with yeah. the genealogical talk. I, as a matter of fact, I think the genealogies of Jesus, if I remember correctly, as they open the book of Matthew and Luke, mm -hmm. they're both giving the genealogy of Jesus. I don't think there's another genealogy listed in the entire Bible. I think that is the I last one. Because yeah. that is the last one that matters. Correct. Yeah. Like yeah. you mentioned, the only list we see from there are the list of the people who are in the church, which is men, women of good standing, that are slaves, that are homeless, that mm. are prostitutes, that are, you know, all over the place. Those are the only list of people yeah. we see once we're Paul's like, into these that are the age. people who have laid down their neck for the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And it has and nothing to listening. do now with who your father was or who his father was. It has nothing to do with where your ancestral lineage comes from. Right. And completely based upon who you put your faith in. Here's how Paul says it in Galatians. You know, then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Yeah. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel of head of time to Abraham saying, all nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter three, through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. So if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed spiritually. Yeah. Well, you're following it, after his, his model of faith. Right. And so we're moving away from biology and DNA, and we're now into a solid era of to be God's people. Yeah. Have faith like Father Abraham. Yeah. And I think that's where it kind of gets hairy for us to understand sometimes. I mean, especially for them, they were really struggling with this, is we're working in God's family which is a whole lot bigger than our idea of a human family. Mm. It's not about blood. It's about the blood of Christ. It's about faith. It's about what we have in common because of God, our creator. That's and, what it and what's amazing, Josh, is we can go almost anywhere in the world now and gather God's people together and they look very different. Yeah. And yet they'll call us brother and sister Yep. and we'll call them brother and sister and the thing that unites us is faith. Yeah. That's why we are one family of God. And this has always been God's plan and purpose Yeah, to have a people. And God has that people today. It is called the church mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ. It is a community of faith. You can find them locally in your neighborhood. <laughs> you can find them locally here at Cornerstone, or you can find them globally. You know, I can recommend a good church in Romania or India or Nicaragua or Mexico or, you know, the family of God is global now yeah. and it's a faith based family. Well, I love closing on that kind of thought that we are all connected in one joined family because of who we put our faith in. I think it's a beautiful realization and an important thing for us to keep at the very forefront of our minds in our living and the way that we operate and the way that we go forward into the world is that we are united by our faith into the family of God. If as you listen to this podcast, it, maybe you have your own personal questions about whether or not you belong to that family. We would love to have a conversation with you about what it means to be a part of the family of God. If you have any questions, if you'd like to know more, send us a text at 817-809-3040. 
Again, we all have access to God now, not from the family that you come from or the lineage to which you belong, but instead the person you put your faith in. And we put our faith in Jesus Christ, which is why we are gathered here as a local body at Cornerstone. If you're looking for a church family, we'd love to have you. If you're in the North Texas area and you'd like to come in and see what Cornerstone is all about, I promise this is an engaged family of believers that are united through our faith in Jesus Christ. We would love for you to be a part. All of our service times and information can be found on our website at cbc.family. Also, there was a lot of talk about covenants in this podcast episode. If you have more questions about that, if you'd like to learn more about what these biblical covenants have looked like throughout all of history, we have an incredible resource for you on our podcast and also on our website through a series called Framework. If you go backwards in our episodes, you'll be able to find that, but you can also find it on our website at cbc.family slash media. Again, we are so blessed that you listen, that you're engaged with us, and that you send in all of your feedback so we can continue these cornerstone conversations together.